welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey guys, and welcome back to the show. We're going to do another podcast today based off of the incredible responses I got from you guys on Instagram. So two weeks or a week ago or so, I posted about rare symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. And I can't believe the amount of responses I got from this one post, which shows me that there are so many other symptoms that they go missed, you know, and they're misunderstood. And it just leads to the confusion or the feeling of not ever being able to treat what it is or that dismissive response that you might get from your clinician. So we're going to talk, be talking about six of the more uncommon perimenopause menopause symptoms in today's episode. First, a word from our sponsor. You guys know I take my sponsorships really seriously here on this podcast. I want to introduce the sponsor for the next five episodes in the Women's Health by Heather Hirsch podcast, The Millie Device. The Millie Device is an all-in-one vaginal trainer with millimeter by millimeter gradual expansion and built-in vibration, helping women overcome vaginal tightness and dryness, which leads to vaginal penetration or insertion difficulties. For more information, go to milliforher.com, and that is spelled M-I-L-L-I-F-O-R-H-E-R.com. You definitely want to check this out. Thank you, Millie, for sponsoring today's episode. All right. So let's get into today's episode, which is explaining six of the more uncommon symptoms of, again, both perimenopause and menopause. And I always want to remind women that symptoms of menopause, those classic symptoms or unclassic symptoms, as we're going to talk about today, can certainly start in perimenopause where you're still having periods, whether they're more frequent or they're more spaced out. And so these are going to be the more uncommon symptoms of either perimenopause or menopause. Now, right off the bat, I also want to let you know that I'm not exactly sure I know the physiology behind each of these, but I'm going to do my best to stay true to you and tell you when I don't know something. Uh, But it doesn't mean that we don't know that. It might just mean that Heather Hirsch doesn't know absolutely everything. I know I have to say it out loud, but it is true. And so if you know, there are other folks out there who know a little bit more about this. These topics could each have experts on in their individual fields. So I'm really excited to dive into this today. And the other final point is that this list is not exhaustive. There are probably many more uncommon symptoms of perimenopause and menopause that we still haven't yet recognized. And again, this list is just not a fully comprehensive list. So let's jump into the first one on the list, which is really actually much more common than I think uh, other clinicians realize, and that is vertigo. Vertigo, if you don't know, is the medical term for dizziness. Most vertigo is classified as benign 
positional vertigo. That means what it sounds like when you move your head from side to side, that's when you feel the most dizzy. So a really good example of this is someone who is waking up and their alarm goes off and they immediately shoot out of bed without really opening their eyes and letting their brain know what direction they're looking in and sitting up slowly. When you jump and shoot out of bed and you're experiencing benign positional vertigo, you can feel a lot of dizziness when you, that's one example of it. And this gets very commonly diagnosed in midlife, perimenopause, and menopause. Now, we do know that there are estrogen receptors from head to toe. I say this all the time. And there are estrogen receptors in our ears. That Literally, there's an estrogen receptor in every organ system of your body. So don't be surprised. So estrogen receptors are in our ears, and as that estrogen starts to decline in perimenopause, or as you make no more estrogen once you're menopausal, for some women, it must just trigger either an imbalance or a firing of neurons that are not supposed to be firing any longer, which kind of is what happens with hot flashes, and that can trigger this feeling of vertigo. Now, vertigo or dizziness is pretty much or mostly subjective, meaning that you feel it, but it's not like there's great, great tests to determine what is causing it. Now, a neurologist would debate me on this, absolutely, but I'm not a bona fide neurologist, and there are ways to tell if someone has benign positional vertigo. It could also be commonly from an infection, and again, it could also perhaps be commonly from the change in hormone levels. Now, interestingly, when I prescribe hormone hormone therapy to my patients who know this, often, not always, often that vertigo gets better. So that to me says, aha, there's an imbalance or there's a decline in estrogen receptors, which are really important in our inner ear. And when we replace estrogen, that, that symptom goes away. So vertigo, which is the medical term for dizziness, is really common in midlife and in menopause. It's not very commonly linked to menopause or perimenopause. In my opinion, I think this is a commonly uncommon symptom. And it often gets misdiagnosed as either benign positional vertigo or vestibulitis, which is an infection causing these symptoms. And women can undergo all sorts of horrific treatment, you know, trying one drug and then another or vestibular rehab. Uh, Another way to say vestibular rehab is where you go and you kind of have your head positions moved around a lot so that you can stop that dizzy sensation only to find that when we use hormone therapy, that symptom goes away. So I think this is really fascinating. And certainly if it's something that you are experiencing and you've tried a lot of things, you might want to see a menopause expert and think about a trial of hormone therapy. Now, hormone therapy is not FDA approved to treat this. Hormone therapy is by the textbook FDA approved to treat hot flashes, night sweats, uh, and severe genitourinary syndrome of menopause. But certainly, if you cannot treat your vestibulitis or vertigo any other way, you should definitely consider a trial of hormone therapy and or you may have one of those other symptoms anyways. On to the next, actually two, I'm going to clump these together because I think they are related. And the next two more uncommon symptoms were new skin rashes and allergies. 
Now, I think that what these have in common is a antihistamine pathology. So as you probably know, because we all know about seasonal allergies, right? And seasonal allergies are typically in the fall or in the spring. For me, it's in the spring. And I go take a walk outside and I feel great and I'm smelling all the fresh flowers and all the new cut grass. And then I come home and my eyes are just watering and itching. And then I just can't wear mascara for like another month because it's just going to get rubbed off immediately. And I'm supposed to take an antihistamine because my histamines in my body are rising they're starting to attack those pollens in the air because they think that they're dangerous to me. And when I take an antihistamine, that can help to diminish those symptoms because I'm kind of telling my body, hey, calm down. You don't really need to attack those. So a skin rash or a new allergy at menopause may be related to a flare of histamine release from the drop in estrogen level. And you're thinking, wow, there's certainly, come on, like estrogen cannot really regulate all of these things. Yeah, yes, it can. It really can. Estrogen is so powerful and we have not yet, I don't think we, you know, gotten to the depth of how powerful estrogen is. But if you've listened to my podcast before, you certainly have learned so much about the way estrogen affects so many symptoms or organ systems in our body, such as our cardiovascular system, our bones, our brain, you know, et cetera. It's just, it's really fascinating. So I really think what's happening here is there is some histamine release from the loss or decline in estrogen, which can either cause new allergies to develop or it can cause skin rashes or new skin changes, which can, again, both of these processes may be, in in my opinion, related to a, a new level of histamine release in your body. So can you treat these things with estrogen? Well, I certainly think I see these less often, specifically allergies. A lot of patients are going to tell their doctor and their doctor is going to try to treat them with an antihistamine. And for all I know, that could probably work. Or if it's a skin change or a new skin rash or lesion, they're going to work that up. They might Uh, prescribe a patient a topical steroid cream, which works again to decrease that histamine release, or they're going to send them to see a dermatologist. And so I wouldn't say that it's the most common thing that I hear my patients say in the uncommon category, but definitely I hear skin changes quite frequently. Now, there are, of course, the pretty obvious ones that are more like dry skin, um, my hair is really dry and brittle. My nails are really dry and they break really easily. But there's also that I have a new rash. I am breaking out to this new uh, food or this new cream or this new lotion. And this has never happened to me before. Those cases do definitely stump me. And to what degree estrogen replacement can help, I am not totally sure because these still may be multifactorial. It is really hard to say if it's directly related to the drop in estrogen and a change in histamine or new release in histamines, or 
Is it just that all of a sudden the company put a new product in that lotion or put a new product in your shampoo and it's causing you to have a certain symptom? And again, same thing with allergies. It's so hard to say. And so many of the times we're treated with antihistamines and that might work just perfectly. And we don't really know how well they are related or directly respond to estrogen if we gave them estrogen. So I think these symptoms are so fascinating because so many of you were quick to reply to the comments that yes, you experienced something similar. So to me, that means that there is definitely, probably, likely something there. All right, we have three more to get into. A quick word from your favorite sponsor, me. I just want to remind you that my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know, Your Doctor Never Told You, is available for you to take online at your own pace. This six-hour course that I created covers everything you could ever want to know about menopause. Ideally, it's like sitting with me in an office and having a long conversation about menopause, the definitions, the facts, and the evidence behind making the right decision for you. In this course, I really walk you through how to come out of this journey feeling confident and successful instead of confused and frustrated, which is what I find so many women go through and why I became a menopause doctor and why I created this course for you. If you want to learn more about the course, simply go to my website, heatherhirschmd.com slash course. There you can also find all the wonderful reviews and you can browse through all of the different lessons and the first one is free. So check it out today. While we're speaking about my course, which I just revamped and relaunched again, you could find it on my website. I highly encourage you if you haven't already to sign up for my email list. I can't say I'm the best at getting an email out every month. Personally, I just don't want to clog your email or your inbox, but I might have some really exciting things coming down the pipeline. I'm always thinking about new and innovative ways to deliver information on menopause. So if you haven't already sign up for my email list, I highly recommend you do so you'll be the first to know what these exciting new ventures are. And you can do that by going to my website, heatherhirschmd.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the homepage, and you can sign up right there. Or if you follow me on Instagram, I'm at hormone.health.doc. You can go to link in the bio, get your free um, hormone health guide, or now called free menopause health guide, and you are automatically signed up for my email list. Okay, moving on to the fourth of the commonly uncommonly reported menopause symptoms is joint aches and pains or what we more commonly refer to in the medical lingo as arthralgias. Arthralgias is is the medical term for just joint aches and pains. Now, this actually has been known about for a really long time among menopause experts, but it's been more slowly uh, adapted or inputted into the minds of clinicians in internal medicine, family medicine, OBGYN. So we know that this is a really uh, quite common, uh, uncommon side effect of the perimenopause and menopause transition. Because if you guessed, well, you're going to say there's estrogen receptors in your joints. Yep, 
there's estrogen receptors in your joints. And for many people, when those estrogen levels start to decline, they can feel those arthralgias. Now, this is something that I will say I see in my clinic very commonly, and this is because I ask this question. It is actually something that is in a standardized questionnaire called the menopause rating scale or the MRS. So it's almost so well known that it's in pre-validated surveys that many of my mentors have used and other researchers and clinicians in the menopause field certainly use when they're doing research on menopause symptoms. So I do ask my patients routinely about arthralgias. I will even have some patients say that that is their primary symptom. That is their main thing that is bothering them. Again, not that hormone therapy is FDA approved for arthralgias, but usually either they have some other symptom, a hot flash here, a night sweat here or there, or vaginal dryness so that we can do a trial of hormone therapy. Sometimes it's not their primary thing. It may be those terrible hot flashes, but they also say, and I have these terrible arthralgias and I wish that I could get rid of them. And we then see if by starting a hormone replacement therapy that they resolve and many, many times they do. I have a patient who is an endodontist, absolutely lovely woman, and someone who has had to go crawling to an endodontist for all sorts of tooth pain. I highly, highly respect anyone in the dental field. But she came to see me because she was having arthralgias in her hands. And of course, that was affecting her job. She had some other symptoms as well, but this was so primary to her and she had tried a lot of things. Now, we did certainly talk about the fact that this could be overuse because an endodontist or a dental hygienist or a secretary or anyone who is doing repetitive motions with their hands, with their wrists, could have overuse, right? There's multiple reasons why, and it could also be compounded by perimenopause menopause. And for this particular patient, she had such a distinct improvement in those arthralgias. She just was flying high. And I love seeing this because for so many people, this really helps tremendously improve their quality of life. Um, I did a podcast a few back that you might want to listen to with my former colleague at Ohio State, Dr. Alexa Mira on arthritis. And we talked a lot about the two main kinds of arthritis, osteoarthritis, which is wear and tear, overuse injuries. Typically think about your knees. If you've been a runner for 20, 30 years, you start to gain a little bit of weight in midlife or after children or during pregnancy, etc., and you have a lot of wear and tear, that is osteoarthritis. And we compare this to rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune condition. And that podcast is great to really differentiate between osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. And in that podcast, we did talk a little bit about arthralgias, which is a third and sort of a separate category. It's more like these diffuse aches. They don't always seem to start in the morning or later in the day. And these do seem to get better with estrogen. So such a fascinating topic and something that so many of you, again, were quick to chime in to say that you experienced as well and nobody connected the two dots. 
Moving on, the next symptom we're going to talk about is heart palpitations. I also did a fantastic podcast with Dr. Dara Lee Lewis, who works at the Brigham and Women's Hospital um, with me in Boston, Massachusetts, as a women's uh, specialty cardiologist. And we talked about heart palpitations in great great depth. This is one of the most popular podcasts I did. It's a couple back, maybe it's in the fifties. You're going to have to scroll back a little bit, or it's also a video on YouTube. And my YouTube channel is health by Heather Hirsch. And it's the exact same thing. You just can see us talking. So if you have experienced heart palpitations, you are not going to want to miss that podcast and that uh, YouTube video because Dr. Lewis really explains the physiology behind heart palpitations, benign heart palpitations, the kinds that are more annoying than they are actually dangerous. And the physiology behind that she explained to me and to the listeners is that when estrogen levels change, the node that controls the firing of your heart or the synchronization of the heartbeat, it can get thrown off. And that's why heart palpitations, especially or particularly these benign palpitations, can start in midlife at perimenopause in the menopause transition, and then sometimes or often seem to get better um, post-menopausally, meaning after it's been a year of no period, you don't make any estrogen anymore, your levels are not fluctuating because you're not making any estrogen, and therefore those heart palpitations really start to cease. But what a really interesting explanation and really interesting role of the physiology that estrogen plays in our heart. And there's many other topics about estrogen and the heart, but specifically I'm talking about how the fluctuating levels, which happens a lot, levels fluctuate in perimenopause and through the menopause transition when you're waiting for it to be 12 months for no period, how those fluctuations can cause heart palpitations. So this is also something that is really common. It's a big reason that patients uh, in midlife go off to see cardiologists. They wear the halter monitor, you know, the one that you have to strap on and wear for either a day or wear for several days. It can be really anxiety provoking. So we're going to talk about panic attacks last and next. And it's just certainly something where all of a sudden you haven't utilized the healthcare system. Now you're telling your doctor you've got heart palpitations. Now you're getting all these blood works and seeing a specialist and wearing a heart monitor and worrying that you have heart disease when really this is a side effect of the fluctuation levels in perimenopause and into menopause. If only, you know, doctors, internists, family medicine doctors, everyone who's a clinician, even my cardiologists who are not so familiar with fluctuating hormones, if they all knew how, uh, how, how prominent this is, that the fluctuating levels of estrogen can cause these heart palpitations, so many women would be so much more at ease because we could really explain to them what is happening. And for most women, because these are benign, which means again, just annoying, knowing what is happening under the hood or why that is happening, and then giving women some tips and tricks on how to reduce those heart palpitations, which Dr. Dara Lee Lewis does in that podcast and or YouTube is really, really helpful. And that's just so significant. 
Now, going off of heart palpitations, heart palpitations itself can cause panic attacks. So let's get into panic attack, mood changes, and anxiety. Now, a panic attack can have many different etiologies. One of the leading reasons or thought thought process behind panic attacks is when all your catecholamines, just all your neurotransmitters that kind of stimulate that fight or flight response, just they get released. And you could, this is really a panic attack is when it happens incorrectly. So an example of a correct response is if a big bear is coming at you, all your catecholamines are released, and all of a sudden you run like the wind and you fly away at 8.0 miles per hour and you get the heck out of there. When this incorrectly happens is you're standing at the grocery store and you're deciding between pinto beans or red beans or black beans and all your catecholamines are released and there was no stimulus. And that panic attack, uh, can then be evoked because you have all of these catecholamines released and hormones are released and you're revved up for nothing. And it can be very, very scary. Then we can get this cyclic kind of um, attacks too, where when we go back to the grocery store and we go look at the bean aisle, we remember, we can feel what happened to us and that can even trigger it to happen again. So they can kind of come cyclically. Now, because panic attacks and mood changes are also very common in perimenopause and menopause when you've never had one before, there is also a thought process that this can be a result from the drop in hormone level. So the drop in hormone level could either be considered the stimulus and again, probably the wrong stimulus um, because it's not dangerous or maybe it is, you know, we could certainly argue that too. But, you know, that drop in estrogen level is the stimulus that causes all those catecholamines to be released, which can then cause a panic attack. Or this can actually happen another more indirect way in that we know mood symptoms, mood changes, like generalized anxiety, not a panic attack type of anxiety, but generalized anxiety or depression or low motivation. Those can actually start really commonly in perimenopause. In fact, so, so, so common that those happen in perimenopause. And it could just get to the point where it's so overwhelming or so bad that it triggers a panic attack. It could be, you know, both of these uh, physiologic processes or one or the other, but certainly panic attacks or, or, or new onset of mood changes and mood symptoms are really common in perimenopause and menopause. Now, when you, you know, see a clinician about this, if they don't automatically kind of connect that this could be a hormonal thing, they might consider talking to you about mood um, treatments, which could either be cognitive behavioral therapy, like talking to a psychologist or a, a psychiatrist, or antidepressants or panic attack medications like SSRIs, or non-addictive short-acting medications like Buspar or Buspirone to help you through those panic attacks. A lot of women, I find at least that, that talk to me on social media, you know, always say, gosh, I wish they just didn't give me antidepressants all the time or et cetera, et cetera. And just a small disclaimer that sometimes those are necessary. Sometimes they do help. Sometimes I do them in combination with hormones. Sometimes I do them alone. And in the main goal is in this podcast and in this dialogue 
is that we expand the possibilities of etiologies. Etiologies means reasons why something is happening. And so certainly sometimes hormonal therapy can help, but the gold standard is still either cognitive behavioral therapy so that you can work through what's causing the anxiety or perhaps the panic attack or medications that can help with your mood or help you to ease through that panic attack. So there is so much more to learn on this topic. We just covered six of the uncommonly common symptoms or commonly uncommon, however you want to think about it, symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. And it is so fascinating that the estrogen, what we think of traditionally as a sex hormone, has so many vast physiologic processes on so many different organ systems. So that's why I'm so fascinated about midlife and menopause, not just because I get to interact with so many wonderful people from so many different backgrounds and learn so much about women's health through your lens, but because the physiology and the anatomy and the molecular biology are all so interesting and so fascinating. As always, time to wrap up this podcast, but here is my thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the show. Please subscribe. I am so excited to see that this podcast is consistently been in the top 100 of the iTunes chart on the medicine category. This is Uh, This is just so cool to see. And when you subscribe or when you leave a comment or a like um, wherever you listen to your podcast, the podcast algorithm, the little computer that um, sends this podcast to other women Googling or searching for menopause is going to do so. So your like, your comments, your reviews, your stars all really help so that other women can get a hold of this podcast. Also, I am looking for new podcast sponsors. I take my sponsorships very seriously. You can always email me at heatherhirschmd at gmail.com. If you have a product that you want to market for midlife uh, women and you think that this would be a good show to do so, please message me because I would like to hear more about what you have. There's so many wonderful things that so many women entrepreneurs are creating that I'm excited to be able to share with my listeners. Thank you guys for your continued support. Also check me out on Instagram. I'm at hormone.health.doc and my very fastly growing YouTube channel, um, Health by Heather Hirsch, where I actually try and cover different topics. I know I never get tired of talking about this. I will see you guys next week. You know, new episodes come out on Wednesday. Please share this with a friend, share it to your social media and get more women on board. See you guys next week. Bye now.